Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the TBH Sports Podcast. I am your host, Tyler Henry, joined once again by Ethan Jordan, all the way from Colorado, and talking about two very similar topics to what we were a couple of weeks ago, but both times, in both instances, the situation has changed a bit, and let's start, Ethan, with a little Formula One action. Silverstone happened this weekend, and I don't think it went anything like what you and I were expecting. It was... uh, I would say an insane weekend, to say the least. And at the end of the day, Red Bull comes off in just a really, really tough spot. Yeah, Red Bull did not have their best weekend um, because Lewis Hamilton hates Max Verstappen. He's a horrible <laughs> person, and we should ban him from F1. Okay, we need, we need to talk. We, we need to talk about this. If you're unaware, if you've been under a rock, my F1 fans, Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen collided in lap one of Silverstone. It sent Max into the barrier. He had to go to the hospital. He's okay now, but obviously his race was over. Lewis got a 10-second penalty and still won the race because he's Lewis Hamilton. Okay. For, I Maybe it's just the bubble that I live in on social media, but I don't think it is. There is way, way, way too much hate being thrown at Lewis Hamilton. Let's start with the first thing. One, there should not be saying some of the things that I've seen said about Lewis Hamilton, no matter what he did, no matter if he ran headlong into Max Verstappen, you should not, you should not be saying these things. Two, this wasn't, this, this was a race incident. I think, I don't think this was a, I don't think there was a reason for certainly not a black flag, I barely thought there was reason for a penalty against Lewis Hamilton, but I think because here's here's the deal. When you talk about penalties, when you talk about penalizing drivers, we're talking about what they did, not what happened because of what they did. That that does not matter. It's what they did. And what happened is Lewis tried to make a risky pass against Max Verstappen, which happens every single week in Formula One, and Max gave him no room which happens every single week in Formula One. And they, they touched wheels. Lewis was lucky to stay in the race. Uh, that He didn't get thrown into a barrier. Max gets tossed. And unfortunately for him, he, he's out of the race. He has to go to the hospital. That's all very unfortunate. And obviously, we're, I'm very glad he's okay. But it was just a racing incident that happened to result in a bad collision. I... The one thing I will say is Lewis Hamilton did continue to celebrate his win at Silverstone. I think he could have shown a little more, you know, grace towards his opponent who was in the hospital. Even if it wasn't, you know, totally Lewis's fault, quote unquote, I think he could have shown a little more grace in that situation. But other than that, come on, this is ridiculous that we're blaming Lewis Hamilton saying, oh, he should have been tossed out of the race. He should be suspended. What are you talking about? These are just people that hate Lewis Hamilton. If this was any other driver, if it had been the opposite situation where Verstappen had spun Hamilton, which could have happened with how this collision was, this would not be the same situation. People hate Lewis Hamilton, and it it needs to stop. It's for a variety of reasons. It's because he's good. That's the first reason. (laughs) The second one is probably because he's black for some people, which that is, come on, that's just ridiculous. I haven't seen too much of that, but it is a cause. And I think him being the greatest driver of all time 
or a dominant team. And I, I just don't, I don't see this hate being thrown as much at a Nick Schumacher when he was good. Maybe it's because there's no social media. And to a lesser extent, Sebastian Vettel, I, I don't think this hate was quite like this, where people just can't stand Lewis Hamilton, who 99% of the time is a class act. I, I just, I, it just befuddles me why we hate this great man that we get to watch every week. I get it. Like I, I'm cheering for Max to beat him too, because I, I, I enjoy parody, but it's not, but it's not to the point where I'm like, Oh, anything to beat Lewis Hamilton, like appreciate greatness and his drive after he hit, hit, hit Verstappen and had a 10 second penalty. He just cooked everybody else. And Charles Leclerc, sorry, man, better luck next time. But uh, the only thing that went right in Silverstone is I thought Lewis would win it. It's his track, and he did, but not in the way we expected. Tyler, what are your thoughts on this? I've been talking for a while, but I- I'm just very upset with the way that Lewis Hamilton is being treated in all of this. No, I-, I completely understand. I think the difference, to me at least, when I look at a situation like this between a guy like Lewis Hamilton and, and some of the names that you threw out there, Mick Schumacher, or not Mick Schumacher, correction, but uh, Michael Schumacher and, and, of course, Sebastian Vettel. I mean, you're talking about guys that won by very definitely slimmer margins than what Hamilton has won by. And I think we see this across all sports. When you see somebody or a team or a dynasty that is as dominant as Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton have been, it's very easy to gravitate towards rooting against that. And I think that when you see, you know, again, I mean, we've talked about it for the last two or three seasons now where people think Red Bull might have a chance. They come in, they have no shot. Mercedes runs the table. They do it again. I think that creates this edge among people that want to see competition. But but I have to completely agree with you on, on about nine out of the 10 points that you made there. The, the hate that Lewis Hamilton receives for nothing more than being good it's just absurd. And on the other side of that, I think you have a very good point. If Max Verstappen dives down the inside to make a pass on Lewis Hamilton and runs him off the track and Hamilton gets sent to the hospital, well, it's just Max being Max. He's an aggressive driver. That's what makes him great. But when Lewis does it, oh, the internet loses their minds. And so I, I definitely do think that he's getting a lot more hate, uh, certainly than what he should. Obviously, Helmut Marco saying he should be suspended for a race is absolutely absurd. Um, The people online saying that he should have been black flagged, also absurd. But at the same time, I do think that a penalty has to be given when you run a driver off the track, when you cause the race to be stopped completely on a red flag. And more to the point, when the incident that you caused, he did have a little bit of room off to the right. It's not completely his fault that Max got sent off the track. But when the guy goes to the hospital, the session gets red flagged and you have to start over again. I just I don't see any way you can't be penalized for that. Um, But with that being said, this was exactly what Lewis Hamilton needed. This is exactly what Mercedes needed. And on the other side of it, obviously, if you have anything more you want to say about the incident, we can continue to talk about that. I feel like we've kind of talked to death a bit at this point. But on the other side of that, this is a great weekend for Mercedes, partially because typically you would have had a good drive from Checo to back up Max Verstappen. That was not possible this week. Granted, he could have tried to work his way through the field, but this brings up the second part of the weekend that I really wanted to talk to you about, and this is where I'll, I'll, I'll happily step up onto my soapbox a little bit. Um, what is what is this sprint nonsense? I, I absolutely despise <laughs> this with every fiber of my soul. I think this is the stupidest thing I've seen added to a sport maybe ever. Um, I, I mean, again, it completely removes the need for qualifying. The qualifying for the sprint race is completely meaningless. And again, it's not entirely the fault of some of the drivers that get spun out. If you're in a good position, but you've seen how many of these race incidents happen at the very beginning of a race, you're basically going to throw that into qualifying. 
it just doesn't make any sense to me. And again, I'm not saying this as a Red Bull fan. I, I think you and I are both very impartial. Obviously, we're both kind of pulling for Max and for Red Bull just to see some parity in the sport. But this was incredibly asinine to me. And the fact that they're going to do it two more times and then see if they could maybe make it a permanent fixture... It just kind of gets my blood boiling a little bit. I just, I, I don't understand it. I'm not a fan of it. And I think it really hurts the sport. Yeah, I, I understand why they put it in there. The reasoning is qualifying is not as interesting as the race. That's just the, that's just a fact. It is, it isn't. And they want more people to watch qualifying. Well, so let's turn qualifying into a race. Okay. I guess. But then you have to qualify for the qualifying. So qualifying just lasts longer. I, I found myself tuning into this race in, in, for the sprint. And I, I, it was actually a pretty exciting race. But then it loses all of its oomph because it doesn't mean anything. Like, oh, you won it. Great. You're, fitted, you're starting on pole position. Cool, I guess. Thanks. Uh, it's just it, it, it doesn't have any stakes. Really, I mean, it has stakes, but they're not. It's not a race. It's just, it's stupid. I agree with you. Uh, it just adds, makes qualifying longer, which nobody wants. And you make a great point about it, just having more potential for drivers to get hurt, for people to, for cars to break. There's no real purpose in it. I, I, I hope after they try it three times, they will say, oh, maybe that didn't work out. That's, that wasn't good. The only problem is I guess it does probably get a few more viewers just because People who watch qualifying will watch both qualifyings. But even then, I, I just don't think it's worth keeping around. I want to say one more thing on the Red Bull and Hamilton incident, uh, the Verstappen-Hamilton incident. Actually, two more things. One, <laughs> this was as much, I think, in my mind, Hamilton missed the apex by about a couple inches, and he wasn't hitting on that curve anyway because it was doing something like jostling the car. some reason, he wasn't doing that the whole race or a whole qualifying, all of that. But Max Verstappen had Lewis dive up the inside and Lewis clearly had a right. He got position. It wasn't like he got up there a little bit. Like he was, he was gunning. Max has to give him a little room there. This is, I think as much Max Verstappen's fault as Lewis Hamilton's. Uh, I, I really do. Um, and for that reason, I think that that's why I say maybe there shouldn't have been a penalty just because it was, I think, equal fault and thus a race incident. But the other thing I will say is, oh boy, we've had Lewis and Max Verstappen, you know, biting at each other a little bit off track, but on track. And, you know, in media sessions, they've been pretty cordial to each other. You know, oh, you know, Max, oh, you know, Lewis had a great drive. That, I think, is gone. These two are about to go at each other and not just, you know, driving their cars. There's, there's some. There's some big bad blood now. And I think this is a Nico Rosberg type of situation for Lewis. These two are pretty much despise each other now, I would imagine. And so they're going to just go at each other. And that, I think that's good. I think that's fun. I'm excited for it. And I hope we get more situations like this where they are one and two and they just go right at each other. And by the way, this whole crash thing it was going to happen i i think this was bound to happen at some point where these two came together went wheel to wheel and somebody got a little too close and someone went off the track i think that was bound to happen at some point happened to be at silverstone and it gets the the battle a little bit closer so i, I think 
all in all, this is good for the rivalry. I'm just glad Max is okay. So at the, in the end, it becomes all good for the rivalry, and it's going to be real exciting here on out. Yeah, I've got a lot of thoughts um, on basically on everything that you just said. I'll try to get them all here in a, in a decent order. So I, I do agree with you. If you look at the track positioning, when Max Verstappen took the contact, it's not like he was already being squeezed to the outside. This happened right around the middle of the track. So there was some room there for him to give. At the same time, though, you know, the 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 aggressor is always going to be the one that is blamed when you're trying to make a pass like that. Um, but I agree with you. I think this is a racing incident. I, I don't really think anything more needs to be said. I did see a pretty funny meme. Um, that did say that Hamilton like saw a Red Bull and, and thought maybe it was Alex Albon and just did what he had to do, uh, which is just wonderful. The, the Albon memes, I'm so sorry to Alexander Albon and his very short-lived F1 career, but that was funny. Um, so, so there's that. Um, I, I think also I agree. I, I think that you are going to see a shift not only in the way that these guys talk about each other, but also in the way the media portrays this battle. And I think it's going to get nasty for this last couple of races. And I don't, I don't mean that in the way, in the sense that they're going to be trying to cause incidents or anything like that. But I think really we finally saw, you know, Lewis Hamilton. He was pissed off. I mean, let's just let's let's not call it what it, or let's not call it anything that it's not. He's pissed off. Um, we saw earlier this season, I can't remember which race it was, Verstappen made an aggressive move, Hamilton conceded, and the next thing you know, Max Verstappen's running away with the race, and Hamilton's sitting back there going, guys, what are we doing? Why are we, why are we 10 seconds behind Red Bull? Um, and so this is exactly what that is, you know, I think Hamilton realizes that he no longer has a car that can basically just carry him to a victory the way that the previous Mercedes bodies have been able to do. Um, and I think that if he sees a window, he's going to go for it. I think the other thing you're going to see here, and again, this is just me projecting, maybe I'm wrong. Feel free to collect, correct me if you don't agree. Um, but I think you're going to see Hamilton try to take kind of the high road here. Um, I think that Partially through no fault of his own, partially through his own personality, and partially through the way that Netflix has played him up, Max Verstappen is kind of the perfect villain in a lot of ways. I think that his his reckless driving style at times, um, and certainly his his inflammatory attitude, you know, we all remember back to, I can't remember if it was Akon or Checo that he shoved after a race, or maybe it was Stroll, um, you know, there, there is that precedent. So I think you're going to see Hamilton try to take the high road um, if it ever comes down to it. But yes, I agree. I think the gloves are off and I think we are finally going to see this get a little bit racy off the track as well as on the track. Um, I did want to make one more quick point back on the sprint race. You know, we talked about it. I, I think you actually, you filled in the blanks of how I was feeling about this because I couldn't figure it out. And then you and I talked in our group chat with, uh, with Koki Riley and Alex Weiner and a few others. Um, and you said the racing is fun. But it's also pointless. Like, if you sit down and you watch it, yes, it's entertaining, but it's very pointless. And again, the thing that it does is it takes a guy in, again, Sergio Perez, perfect example. He qualified P5, but he's right in the middle of all of that chaos going on at the beginning of the sprint race. He gets spun around, can't finish, and the next thing you know, he's starting the actual race for big points on Sunday in P20. That's just not fair to me. If the guy is fast enough in a perfect qualifying lap, which, you know, maybe it's not as fun, maybe it's not as big as of a spectacle, but at the end of the day, qualifying is the true, it's where you show your true raw potential as a driver. It's why a guy like George Russell can take a car that's never going to score points in that Williams and finish it in the top 10 every week. So if you're good enough on the raw measure of potential to finish in a top six spot, that's where you should be starting the race the next day. The next day. No questions asked, in my opinion. Um, you know, again, feel free to jump in and correct me if you if you disagree with any of that. But that's my opinion. If you're good enough to finish wherever you would have qualified, that's where you should be starting the race. Yeah, I 
Yeah, I agree. I, I, I mean, I think that's secondary for me. I think having two qualifying is the dumbest part for me, but I agree with you as well. I think both points are, are valid. And there's two good reasons not to have it, so <laughs> get rid of this nonsense. All right, fair enough. Well, let's talk about where this brings the standings, and then we'll move on from Formula One. Max Verstappen's lead, it gets cut down a bunch. Lewis Hamilton, of course, coming back and winning the race, 177 points for him on the season now. That is only 18 behind. Max Verstappen, or correction, that is only eight points behind Max Verstappen, who has 185. Lando Norris still sits P3 in the Drivers' Championship with 113. Valtteri Bottas with 108. Sergio Perez with 104. And it did take some weird, weird stuff at Silverstone, Ethan, but I think we finally have just about what we wanted. Hamilton and Verstappen are close. Bottas and Perez are close. And as a result, if you look at the drivers or the championship for the constructor standings, Red Bull and Mercedes are now separated by just four points headed in to the home stretch of this Formula One season. I think regardless of what happens, regardless of who comes out on top, this is going to be a wild ride to the end. Oh, no doubt. I, I, I think this evened it up a little bit because until this week, Max has been kind of cooking. Lewis and so I think this was nice to really even things out and I I hope that the Mercedes can just keep up with the Red Bulls so we can get these battles where someone doesn't have to get knocked out for someone to really gain an advantage I want to see these two actually go at it we still got over a half a season left it feels like this (laughs) season has gone on forever I think just because of last season being so short and yeah I, I think that this happened at the perfect time for things to get re-even a couple races before the halfway point, And then we really hit go in the, in the second half and see these two go at it. And I think seeing Red Bull and Mercedes as teams go against each other with Boras and who has looked much better the last couple of weeks against Checo and well, Christian Horner and total Wolf hate each other. So <laughs> this is, this is going to be, this is going to be good stuff. Yep, I completely agree. Again, the F1 season will pick up at Hungary, and then it'll get really interesting. A race at Belgium, a race at the Netherlands, debuting a brand new track in Max Verstappen's hometown, or not hometown, but his home country, and then it'll be right back to Monza and Italy. Don't go anywhere. You're not going to want to miss it. The F1 season continues. Again, that that Hungarian Grand Prix weekend beginning on July 30th, but There is one other thing going on, uh, quite a big thing in the world of sports, and that is the NBA Finals. At the time of this recording here on Tuesday, July 20th, we are setting up for a Game 6. And, uh, well, Ethan, you and I previewed this series in our last podcast episode, and I think you and I were both feeling pretty confident. This was the Suns series to lose, and through the first couple of games, it really did look like it. Phoenix takes the victory in Game 1, 118-105. to They come back and put another 118 up. That was good enough for a 118-108 to victory in Game 2. And, you know, I don't know what you were thinking, but at that point, I'm sitting here and I'm going, yeah, the series is going back to Milwaukee, but this thing feels over. The games were somewhat competitive, but Milwaukee just did not have the firepower, and then out of nowhere... They figured it out. Their role players came to play. Pat Connaughton started to not be able to miss shots. Chris Middleton played up to his potential. Drew Holiday played up to his potential. And Giannis did what Giannis does. And the next thing you know, the Bucks rip off three in a row and take the series back to Milwaukee for a game six. Ethan, I, I hesitate to say that this game or that this series feels like it's over, but man, it feels like it's gonna be Bucks and Six or Suns and Seven. At this point, I don't see any other outcome. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily the case. I think the Bucks could win it in seven. And I certainly don't think this series is over. Uh, 
that was a real dagger, though, that, that loss in Game 5 to the Suns. I thought the Suns actually played very well in Game 5. I thought their defense looked even better. I think Milwaukee just made a ton of contested shots in, in that game. And when you do that, and then you have that big dunk by Giannis at the end, it's just that's just a real letdown for Phoenix to play great defense and then just get then take take that loss at home. Phoenix is a good road team, though. I, I don't think they have given up this team. I don't think Monty Williams will allow them to do that. I don't think Chris Paul will allow them to do that. They are going to need to, once again, have crazy shot making in game six to hang around with Milwaukee. I, I think Milwaukee's shot the daylights out of the ball in game three and game five. And I don't know if they can do that again. They did not do that quite as much in game four, but they were game four. They just dominated the Suns on, on the boards. But Phoenix has even that even that up a little bit in Game Five, so I think that'll be a key to watch: is how can DeAndre Ayton work on the interior? Can Monty Williams find some way to slow down Giannis, who was getting a lot of hate coming into this series, and I think most of that has gone away because he's been tremendous, even if he's not making his free throws still. Uh, so I, I, I'm not saying hack Giannis, but find some way to contain him. Yeah, I, I, I mean, this team, we've known that they were, they've were they been a force to be reckoned with for, for years now, right? And not with not with Drew, Drew Holiday, it was Eric Bledsoe. But it was always, oh, well, if they could just play to their potential, play like they did in the regular season, they, they, they'd run through the NBA. Well, here you go. Here it is. They're playing to their potential. They've got Drew Holiday, who's better than Eric Bledsoe. And, and they're just, they're doing exactly what this team was designed to do. Let Giannis dominate on the inside. He's not going to make a lot of free throws. Who cares? And then the guys on the outside are going to drain their shots, play great defense on the perimeter, lock down the guards for the other team. This is what Milwaukee was designed to do. Milwaukee just hasn't been talked about this year like they have been in years past. It's still the same idea. And it's actually all coming to fruition for once for the Bucks. And, and props to him for after going down two games to a really good Suns team for coming back. I don't think this series is over. Um, if, I, I mean, in my mind, I'm predicting that Phoenix will win tonight. Uh, and then game seven, I think it, it is a toss up, really. It'll be interesting to see. I just I feel like there's so much momentum, obviously, going for Milwaukee. I don't feel like the series is over yet, but I think the biggest question for me has less to do with Milwaukee and more to do with Phoenix. And my big question to you right now, I don't know if you have a good answer. I don't know if anybody has a good answer. What the hell is going on with Chris Paul? Because we have seen him throughout these playoffs and really throughout the entire course of his career. I mean, they don't call him the point god for nothing. His assist to turnover ratio has been fantastic. And then the NBA Finals hit, and I don't know if it's you know some kind of a lingering injury. I don't know what's going on, but he just does not look like the same player that we saw. Aside from that one game where he got injured early on in the or early on in the in the conference finals, I believe um, he just does not look like the same guy. I mean, you look at these last couple of games. His turnover numbers aren't insane, but they're definitely not Chris Paul. I mean, you're talking about a guy right now that has 17 turnovers in his last four games. For CP3, that's just ridiculous. And again, I'm not putting everything on him, but that is kind of the one biggest difference that I've noticed. Those classic, Chris Paul has the ball, Phoenix is going to get a score, either it's either if it's off a mid-range shot from him, or from an assist, or a drive. And all of a sudden, Milwaukee's going the other way with it. I mean, what have you seen out of Chris Paul that's different in the finals than you saw in the in the Western Conference Finals or any of the playoff series prior to this? This is a fascinating twist for Chris Paul. He's finally in the NBA Finals, and this is kind of his last stand now, right? I think I agree with you. I think it's up to him to try and do something to fix it. I think the situation with Chris Paul is multi-layered. I think one thing that 
is hurting him is he's up against a really terrific perimeter defense. Giannis is able to cover so much of the interior as well. And he's so multifaceted his defensive abilities in that area that it's harder for Chris Paul to get the ball to the interior, right, with Giannis being there. So I think the defense of Milwaukee is one thing. I think he's probably still banged up. I, I would be surprised if he wasn't. And I think Mike Budenholzer realizes one thing. We've talked about Denver Booker is the best player on the Suns, but Chris Paul is the most important player on the Suns. I think Coach Bud has had a terrific strategy of keeping Chris Paul at bay, forcing others to try and come through, which they have in the past in these playoffs, but it just has not been enough in this series. And so I think you need, in this game, you need Chris Paul to figure something out, see if he can get a few more assists, but you need someone else to step up. You need Booker to go nuclear. You need Aiton to try and make something happen on his own, which is difficult for him on the interior. You need somebody else i mean campaign somebody else to do to do something because chris paul is the focus of this milwaukee defense right now and i i don't know the way that milwaukee is shot i think chris paul needs to also focus on getting his guys open for three and generating more three-pointers which is something that i think he spoke to the media about it was either after game four game five saying i need to find a way for us to get more threes just with the way that milwaukee is shooting so we'll look for him to do that tonight. Um, I, I still think that strategy-wise, you've got him and Monty Williams. I still trust them to figure something out. And that's why I think this this will go seven. Yeah, I mean, to me at least, I feel like this is the first time we've seen Budenholzer really competently coach in the playoffs. Um, I think some of the stuff we've seen out of Milwaukee, and it was funny because it's not just the guys on Inside the NBA on TNT or, or the, the typical Twitter, tw- Twitter trolls. Um, they're kind of exposing him. And again, it, it seemed like Milwaukee was winning a lot of these games in spite of the coaching. And now it really does feel like the strategy has become a little bit more complete here for this team. I think another thing that I've noticed, one thing that's made the Suns so dangerous Typically, you have to respect all five guys on the floor. Yes, occasionally, Jay Crowder will go through a tough stretch or campaign will go through a tough stretch. But for the most part, you have to be worried about all five guys at all times. And it just seems like, in, at least in these three losses, sometimes you see these guys kind of disappear a little bit. I mean, DeAndre Ayton had six points in that game four loss against the Bucks, And I don't know. It just it feels like to me, yes, it, it may be asking a little bit too much, but I kind of agree. Unless Devin Booker is going to go out and drop 55 you need somebody else to be consistent, but you need everybody else to at least be a threat. You can't be in this position where Milwaukee is free to double-team Chris Paul if he brings the ball down the floor or if he tries to go inside and get into the paint because, you know, again, you're not going to be able to pound it down low to Aiton with Giannis patrolling the paint. It's just, I don't know. I, I feel like Milwaukee has finally found a bit of an advantage, but I think that that advantage has also come partially because at times Phoenix is really playing four on five. And again, the role players that we kind of expected Phoenix to have that, you know, would outplay the role players and certainly the bench for Milwaukee. I just I don't know if I've seen quite what I expected um, in in that respect so far in these finals. Yeah, we talked about it in our podcast that one of the big advantages for Phoenix was their bench over the Milwaukee bench. And that just has not really been the case. I mean, in game five, I think the Suns bench was probably better, but Milwaukee's big three went nuts and they could not be stopped. And I think when all three of those guys are going, Middleton, Holiday, Giannis, when they're all at their peak, good luck. I don't think any team in the NBA is stopping that. And the Suns put on their best effort. They played good defense, especially in the first quarter. And I think they 
it's they're getting kind of ragged for their defense at the end. I, I think they played pretty good defense. They were just, I mean, when shots go in and in the face, there's nothing much you can do. Um, so I, I think, yeah, the bench certainly does need to step up. I, I mean, campaign's been fine. Uh, I, I, I haven't had a problem with him. I, I'd like to see somebody else step up back there, Cam Johnson maybe, though he's shot very well in these playoffs too. Uh, I think defensively, Jay Crowder can really bring that edge that we always talk about with him, maybe see him get a little bit physical, kind of get things fired up. Uh, Bridges has been all right. I think he's been pretty good, but I, I don't know. I think, I think the bench has actually played pretty well for the Suns. I think Milwaukee's bench has outplayed, outperformed what we thought they would. I don't see a huge problem with the Suns bench. I think it's just a matter of figuring out that big three for Milwaukee, and I don't think – Maybe they will. If they have another game like they did in Game 5, I, I, Milwaukee's going to win the Larry O'Brien Brian Trophy tonight. I just don't know if that's totally sustainable. And if they can just have them miss a few more shots, I think Phoenix's plan and their effort from Game 5 was good enough to win if Milwaukee doesn't do that. Right. I, I, here's the thing. I, and again, I wanted to ask you one more specific question, and then we can kind of leave it open and, and kind of wrap this thing up. But I like kind of the vision that you have. I, I do kind of appreciate some of the things that you see on the floor. And I think one thing that we've talked about in the past is is kind of some of the defensive adjustments that you see teams make. So let me ask you this. Obviously, you have to worry about Giannis and what he's going to bring down low. We've seen teams kind of use that classic Giannis wall. But here's my question. If you're going into this game, if you're the Phoenix Suns, how the hell do you slow down Chris Middleton? Because you cannot win a game. If Middleton's going to go out and drop 40 and Giannis is going to do his thing, that just seems like a losing formula no matter what you're doing on the offensive end. So let me just put that to you, specifically defensively. I mean, what do you have to do here if you're the Suns? And maybe it doesn't exactly go around Middleton, but that's kind of the biggest thing that I've seen is like Middleton has just been able to get his basically whenever he wants. Yeah, I think they played pretty good defense against Middleton in Game 5. He was just hitting shots over guys, really. I mean, they locked him down in the first quarter, and then he just he's, he's hitting shots. Like, there's not much you can do other than trying to keep the ball away from him, which is very difficult because you're already trying to keep the ball away from Giannis on the interior because you don't really have anyone who can stop him inside. I mean, maybe you get a guy like Jay Crowder to get a little more physical with Middleton, but we haven't seen Middleton really be that prime to to drive and do that he's just been out there making shots so i think maybe you try that but truthfully it's just he, he was red hot i mean there's he shot out of his mind in game five and he really the whole team has been shooting out of their minds in the last three games of the series so at some point it, it's almost I, I don't want to say luck but it is a little bit with like okay can we miss some shots here guys like i i think phoenix i think or if you're phoenix maybe the best defense is a good offense, right? You've got to come out and knock down three-pointers like we know Phoenix can at times and just match this just voracious effort from from Milwaukee. I, I, yeah, I, I think the reason that you picked the Suns in this series is you don't expect Milwaukee to shoot this good. I mean, holy cow. And then the rebounding thing, that's another thing. There you go. That's one thing, right? Rebound the ball so you know Middleton doesn't get an extra shot. That, that'll hurt you. I think they did better with that in Game 5. They just got a ridiculous shooting effort from Milwaukee. I, if I'm Monty Williams, I'm saying, hey, guys, we got the same plan. Let's go out, be, de- be aggressive defensively like we were, attack the boards better like we did in Game 5, and then let's make our shots. I think we, I think we played well in Game 5. That's what I, I'm saying if I'm Monty Williams. I'm saying, let's do that again. And if they match our effort like they did in, in Game 5, hats off to them. Congratulations on the win. You just – because 
that's you've just out, gotten outplayed, and I don't think there's much for me to can do. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, again, I, the big thing for me is going to be is that Phoenix Suns offense going to be able to heat up. But I, I don't hate that. You know, if you're Phoenix, maybe you cut your losses, you know, not trying to overthink things defensively. Obviously, you still have to tighten down on guys like Middleton. But, you know, this is not a Phoenix Suns team that got here by playing stingy defense. This is a Phoenix Suns team that got here well, by having seven to ten guys that can shoot the lights out of the gym at any point. The defense has been very good, but I'm talking about like in terms of this is not a this is not a Phoenix Suns team that's going to go out and win an 89 to 98 game. Like this is not the not not what I would expect out of the Suns. Yeah, their defense has been very good this year, and I, like I said, I think it was good in Game Five. They just got outshot, and I I think you just have to hope that Milwaukee doesn't do that again because if they do, then there's nothing you can do, and they're they're just they just deserve the trophy at that point. If they're going to play like that for four games in a row, I mean, there you go. Congrats. Sure. Uh, one last thing that I wanted to point out specifically here. It's a guy that I think has gone a little bit under the radar. Um, and obviously there is a little bit of a connection here. Part of the reason I'm bringing this guy up. But at the same time, you know, there have been times where the big three, if you want to call it that, from Milwaukee have been firing on all cylinders and Phoenix has kind of tried to press into them. And it seems like every time they've left, you know, a number of guys from the bench for Milwaukee open in the corner, they've found ways to knock down these huge shots. But one of them that I've noticed has had one in every single game has been Pat Connaughton. I mean, he has kind of been the unsung hero. He has been playing stingy defense. He's gotten a number of really big steals on that side of the ball. And then on the other end, I mean, anytime you leave him open, he finds a way to knock it down. Obviously, a former Harwich Mariner here in the Cape Cod Baseball League. But in his own right, as a Milwaukee Buck, he has been, I mean, again, he, he's just been one of those guys that I've kind of noticed that, you know, you've got your big three, but when you need to spark off the bench, Connaughton's been able to provide that. I just wanted to kind of give him his due. You have to have that guy if you're going to win a, a chip. I think every team that wins it all, or even sometimes in a series, right, the one that comes to mind for me is when the uh, Portland Trailblazers beat the Denver Nuggets back in, oh boy, uh, years are thrown off now because of <laughs> COVID. I want to say 2019. Yeah, 2019. And uh, it was Rodney Hood, right? Like, yep. Really? Rodney Hood's knocking down these shots? Come on. Like, Dame's not even playing well. Like, I get CJ's going off. He'll get his, fine. But, but Rodney Hood? It, there's always a guy like that. And you have to have that guy who is playing better than expected in order to to win. Because remember, these are the two best teams in the NBA. Uh, and you can say, oh, the Lakers, they were hurt. These are the two best teams in the NBA this year. You were playing the best of the best. So you have to have certain guys step up. It's almost a matter of timing, really, sometimes with, oh, well, this guy got hot and we won, we won the chip. Like, great. And I, I think that has been, Pat Connington has been that guy and hats off to him, man. Yep, no, most definitely. And obviously the fact that we're not watching a, uh, a Nets-Lakers NBA Finals just proves that there are basketball gods. Um, there are basketball gods and they do care about a little bit of parody. So this has been a very fun NBA Finals. Before we wrap it up here, Ethan, obviously two games left to go, one tonight and then a potential Game 7 coming up, I believe, on Thursday. Any prediction at this point? Obviously both of our uh, Suns and Five, Suns and Six picks have been kind of thrown out the window here. What are you thinking? Yeah, uh, tough one on that. Maybe maybe I'm just hopeful. Maybe I, I've just bought into the hype too much, but I still think the Phoenix Suns are going to win this series. I think Chris Paul comes out, figures it out, and, and they win it in seven. I, I, I just they, I, they feel like the team of destiny this year, though maybe that's because I was in Phoenix for half this year. I don't know. 
I, I, either way, I will be happy with the team that wins. Like, that's great for the Bucks. The city of Milwaukee is behind them. I mean, but the way the city of Phoenix has rallied around the Suns has just been so exciting and so fun. I wish I was still there for this. But I, I think Phoenix is really that team of destiny. I think they have too many pieces to go quietly. I think they win game six. And then, like I said, game seven's a toss-up, but I'll give a toss-up to the Suns. Suns and seven. Sure. For for about a million different reasons, I want the Suns to win this series. I really do. I want the ring for CP3. I want the city of Phoenix to have something nice, which is just not something the city of Phoenix has had for the last <laughs> decade. Um, and again, I mean, we've talked about the rebuild. We talked about a team that we went and watched r- the Rockets hang 90 on them and a half. Like, I want to see this team win. But I just don't know if it's going to be possible. I think that a three a three game winning streak, taking the series back to Milwaukee, and with the big three playing the way that they have for Milwaukee, I think the series is over. I'll take the Bucks in six. But if that doesn't happen, I am definitely on board with seeing the Suns come back and win it in seven. So that's my prediction: Bucks in six. Uh, and that's really about all I had. Ethan, thank you once again so much for coming on the show. Always great to talk some F one and some basketball with you. And I'm sure we'll have more to talk about uh, in the coming weeks. Yeah, always fun to talk about F1. I, I can't wait to talk more about this once Lewis and Max really go at each other. But, no, always a good time. Appreciate you having me on. Yep, absolutely. And that is, unfortunately, all the time we have for today. I want to say thank you one more time for tuning in for Tyler Henry and for Ethan Jordan. You've been listening to the TBH Sports Podcast. Podcast.